Chapter 22 of A Bunch of Everlastings, or Texts That Made History, by Frank W. Borum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Bauer. Chapter 22 Andrew Fuller's Text The Magic Music. What is the magic music? Ever since the world began, poets have let their truant fancies play about it, but none of them have told us what it is. They have sung to us of the bells that peal under the sea of the songs that are heard in the storm of the sirens that sing on the shore they have told us of cities that mysteriously rose to the strains of the lyre of orpheus and they have told us of cities rendered desolate by the fatal lure of the piper's lute but none of them have described those resistless strains those bewitching harmonies that magic and marvellous music what is it we must try to find out right away down among the swamps of the red river district Three slaves sit huddled together at the close of a cruel and exhausting day. Two of them are women. The third is Uncle Tom. Seeing that they are too tired to grind their corn, Tom has ground it for them. And touched by such uncommon sympathy, they have baked his cake for him. Tom sits down by the light of the fire and draws out his Bible, for he has need of comfort. What's that? says one of the women. A Bible, Tom answers. Laws of me, and what's that? Read a piece anyway, exclaimed the woman, curiously seeing Tom poring so attentively over it. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Them's good words, exclaimed the astonished woman. Who says em? And beginning with those good words, Tom tells her the story of Jesus. But let us change the scene. We are at the Isle of Wight, and here, in the lovely little church at newport is the memorial that queen victoria erected to the memory of the princess elizabeth it is by maracetti and represents as mr william canton says one of the most touching scenes that a sculptor has ever put into marble it is the figure of a fair young girl in the quaintly pretty dress of the stuart days her eyes are closed her lips are parted with the last faint sigh one arm is laid upon her waist the other has fallen by her side with the little hand half open, it will never hold anything. Her left cheek is resting upon an open Bible, and her long ringlets are scattered across the page. But you can read the verse. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let us change the scene again. We are at Hippo in northern Africa. It is the fifth century. Augustine bends over his desk. Let us glance over his shoulder. What is it that he is writing? I have read in Plato and in Cicero, he says, many sayings that are very wise and very beautiful, but I never read in either of them such words as these. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are good words, says the slave woman as she listens in astonishment to the reading of Uncle Tom. Those are good words, says Queen Victoria, as she selects them for inclusion in the sculptor's masterpiece. Those are good words, says Augustine, as he contrasts them with the wealthiest treasures of heathen minds. Here, then, are words that could pour new hope into the empty heart of a despairing slave, words that could minister consolation and delight to the soul of the world's mightiest sovereign, words that could ravish the mind of an old-world scholar and saint. Here, if anywhere, we have found the magic music. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest a slave's text a queen's text a bishop's text and andrew fuller's text 
Andrew Fuller made history in several ways. To begin at the beginning, he made history by means of his exquisitely beautiful life at home. One of his sons, Andrew G. Fuller of Wolverhampton, wrote in his old age a biography of his father. There are several such works already in existence, but in reading them, the second Andrew Fuller felt that none of them had touched the real secret of his father's influence and power. He therefore took his pen, when nearly eighty years of age, and wrote his book as a filial tribute to the loveliness, the unselfishness, and the nobleness of his father's life in the home. Another of Andrew Fuller's sons, Mr. J. G. Fuller, set up, we have seen, as a printer at Bristol. He engaged as his apprentice a young fellow named William Nibb. Moved by his father's spirit, the master was soon the means of his assistant's conversion. Having been led to the Savior by Mr. Fuller, William Nibb became the great evangelist of the West Indies and the historic deliverer of the slaves. When the glad shout of the emancipated blacks echoed through the world, nobody thought of Andrew Fuller. Yet to Andrew Fuller's influence, that joyous event was directly traceable. Andrew Fuller made history by means of one of the most scrupulously conscious ministries that we have on record. One illustration must suffice. As a young man of six and twenty, he was minister of the little church at Soham. The membership of the church was less than forty. His salary was fifteen pounds a year, and he was far from being happy. The congregation was sharply divided on acute doctrinal questions. Several of the leading members treated him with coldness and some with bitterness, and every sermon that he preached was subjected to the most pitiless criticism. At this juncture he was called to the important charge at Kettering. The invitation assured him a much larger congregation, a much larger salary, and absolute unanimity. Yet for two years he hesitated as to the course that he ought to pursue. It seemed to him that the souls of the people at Soham had been committed to his care, and how could he give account of them in the day of judgment if he lightly forsook them? The very troubles of the church made it more difficult for his conscience to consent to its abandonment. As Dr. Ryland has remarked, Many men would risk the fate of an empire with fewer searchings of heart than it cost Andrew Fuller to determine whether he should leave a little dissenting church of less than forty members. But that was the man, and in that spirit he lived and labored to the end of his days. But most memorable of all, Andrew Fuller made history as one of our great missionary pioneers. When, as it has been finally said, when it pleased God to awaken from her slumber the drowsy and lethargic church, there rang out from the belfry of the ages a clamorous and insistent alarm, and in that arousing hour the hand upon the bell-rope was the hand of William Carey. Yes, Carey's hand was the hand that grasped the rope, but Fuller stood beside him when he did it. They were partners in the greatest of all human enterprises. When Carey preached his famous sermon, the sermon that awoke the world, Fuller stood beside the pulpit and Carey was only able to go to India because Fuller undertook to arouse the interest and organize the church's resources at home. You go down into the mine, said Fuller to Carey, and we will hold the ropes. How well he fulfilled his promise. Let his biographers tell. By holding those ropes, Andrew Fuller made history. Andrew Fuller was a farmer's son, and to the end of his days he dearly loved the fields. As a boy, he reveled in the life of the village and the countryside. We get glimpses of him searching for birds' nests in the woods, killing snakes in the lane, and sitting with other boys beside the great fire in the village smithy. 
yet even in those early days he was conscious of a hunger in his heart that none of these pursuits could satisfy he attended his mother's church but the minister did not help him mr eve was a representative of that grim and stern old theology that set the poor boy trembling in every limb but offered him no refuge from the terrors it presented the more he heard the more miserable he became in his distress he collected such books as he could find he read bunyan's pilgrim's progress and grace abounding and erskine's gospel sonnets i read he says and as i read i wept indeed i was almost overcome with weeping so interesting did the doctrine of eternal salvation appear to me but how to make that great salvation his there lay the problem he discovered that one of his father's laborers was a very religious man he followed this man into the fields and stables and barns hoping that he would drop some word that would dispel the horror of his mind but no emancipating word was spoken the quest seemed hopeless at the age of fifteen he almost abandoned the search i thought he says of giving up in despair why not forget it and take my fill of sin but the very ideal sent a shudder through all his frame his heart revolted what he said to himself can i give up christ and hope in heaven then one never to be forgotten day his ears were ravished by the magic music he heard the text come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest he looked away from self his son tells us and fixed his eyes upon a crucified saviour his guilt and fears began to dissolve like the snow of winter under the silent influence of springtime warmth he was in such dire extremity that whether it accorded with the teachings of mr eve or not he determined to venture everything upon christ come unto me said the matchless music i must his soul made answer i must and i will yes i will i will i trust my soul my lost and sinful soul into his hands i come i come and if i perish i perish the words are copied from his own account of that memorable experience come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest he came and in coming he found the rest that was promised the rest that he had so diligently sought i should have found it sooner he says if i had not entertained the notion of my having no warrant to come to christ without some previous qualification i mention this he adds because it may be the case with others who may be kept in darkness and disparity by such views much longer than i was during the years that followed andrew fuller had his full share of trouble whilst he lay ill in one room his daughter a little girl of six died in the room adjoining i heard a whispering he says and then all were silent all were silent but all is well i feel reconciled to god i called my family around my bed i sat up and prayed with them as well as i could i bowed my head and worshipped a taking as well as a giving god some time afterwards mrs fuller lost her reason in her frenzy she fancied that he was not her husband but an impostor who had entered the house and taken all that belonged to her she regarded him as her bitterest enemy and made every effort to escape she had to be watched night and day just before her death however a sudden calm stole over her i was weeping mr fuller says and the sight of my tears seemed to awaken her recollection fixing her eyes upon me she exclaimed 
why are you indeed my husband indeed my dear i am she then drew near and kissed me several times my heart dissolved with a mixture of grief and joy her senses were restored and she talked as rationally as ever a fortnight later she laid a little child in the father's arms and then passed quietly away then again her eldest boy proved wayward and gave him serious trouble he ran away to sea it was reported that as a result of a misadventure he had received three hundred lashes and had died under the punishment oh cried the father when he heard of it this is heart trouble my boy my boy he cried and i heard him not o oh, absalom my son my son would god that i died for thee my son my son it turned out however that the rumour was false robert was still alive and the letters that his father wrote to him are among the tenderest and most persuasive in our literature there is every reason to believe that their pleadings had the effect that the father most desired i was exceedingly intimate with robert wrote a shipmate long afterwards we freely opened our minds to each other he was a very pleasing youth and became a true christian man the news of his death however was a terrible blow to mr fuller on the sunday following its reception he broke down completely in the pulpit and the whole congregation wept with him but through all the clash of feeling and the tumult of emotion the bells were ringing under the sea the magic music never ceased come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest that rest was never broken when he lay dying at the last he called dr ryland to receive his final testimony i have no other hope of salvation he said than through the atonement of my lord and saviour with this hope i can go into eternity with composure i will give you rest i go into eternity with composure rest composure so steadfastly was the promise kept to the very very last as a boy i came under the influence of a fine old clergyman canon hoare the rector of holy trinity tunbridge wells a man very esteemed in the south of england i can see him now tall stately and gray my beau idea of all that a minister should be in his study there hung a very beautiful and telling picture it represented a shipwreck from which one life was being saved in confidential moments canon hoare would tell the story of the picture it seemed that years ago a very wealthy man called to arrange with him about his burial place the canon walked around the churchyard with him and after inspecting several possible positions the gentleman at last selected the spot in which he wished his bones to rest this business completed they paused for a second or two listening to the birds and then the canon turned to his companion and said well now you have chosen a resting place for your body have you yet found a resting place for your soul there was silence for a moment and then turning full upon the canon the gentleman exclaimed you are the first person who ever asked me that question it set him thinking he sought and found the resting place the only resting place andrew fuller's resting place and he sent the canon the picture as a token of his gratitude he felt that his was the life that had been saved from shipwreck the matchless music a resting place for the soul come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and i will give you rest he who has heard that music and found that resting place will smile at all the buffetings of time and pass into eternity with composure End of chapter twenty two